appreciate you. I can't remember everybody's name, but we need to pray for Brother David. Amen. The man in the, is Brother David Loon. Is that right? Some of y'all act like y'all don't know him. I don't act like I know him either. <laughs> I told him this morning, I said, I don't read anywhere in the Bible where, there, where a sound man ever got saved. Do you? And he said, they didn't need sound men back then. Well, one guy fell out of an, at a window one night. Amen. In the book of Acts, that might have been a sound. That's probably close because they usually sleep in church. <laughs> now he's, he's trying to turn me off, amen? <laughs> but you know, I have a built-in PA system. <laughs> amen. Well, I appreciate faithfulness of God's people and familiar faces serving the Lord. It encourages us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew number 15, looking at verse 29. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God and let us uh, honor His Word tonight and be obedient to what he has for us, and I believe the message can help you and I tonight. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15, there in verse number 29 and following, And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And a great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, that means they, uh, they couldn't speak, and and maimed, and many others. Notice that many others. There's a lot of people with different problems and issues and health issues and spiritual issues. And he said, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. I mean, some came from so long, it was, they were so tired, and they just kind of cast their loved ones there, and he healed them. And it's so much that the multitudes wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to be whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see. Notice, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, that is very important in this text, in this context. This is a predominantly Gentile group that glorified the God of Israel. Wouldn't have been good to hear that there's a lot of Jews that glorified the God of Israel. And the Lord was reaching out to them, too. And seeing them, many of them get saved, but there was a great group that were fighting against him. But here he goes to an area where it's predominantly Gentiles, and they're so excited. They've heard of Messiah. They've heard of Jesus, and now he's in their parts, and so they begin to bring uh, their loved ones in need to him. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him, in verse 32, and said, I have, com uh, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples saying to him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks, and brake them and gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat, of the broken meat that was left, the food, uh, seven baskets full. Now notice that phrase, seven baskets full. And uh, they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. I'm going to preach a little while tonight on the compassion of Christ as our divine example. Isn't he a great example to us in ministering to souls? And uh, we've been talking about that already tonight, about the young people coming from other places, and hopefully some lost kids will come in and get saved, amen, and minister to the souls of you and I that we need ministering to, and, and uh, we can minister also. But here we see, when we uh, see that compassion of Jesus Christ can fill our souls for ministry. Lord, help us, I pray tonight. Help us understand that, uh, that we know that we can get uh, help from you. But, Lord, it's so great that when we get help from you, we can turn around and give help to others. And I ask you to help this church, help them rally around this meeting coming up soon, and help each one of us, Connie and I too, as we minister to souls, that you'll give us that compassion that we need and that love and care to help others. Help us to step out of our selfishness and out of our slothfulness and out of our mundane attitude that we sometimes have toward everyday life, and that we'll be willing to reach out to be a minister to those in need. So do a work in our hearts, we pray, Jesus, and help each one be ministered by the Word tonight in your name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Notice the compassion of Christ as our 
divine example. And we see when the compassion of Jesus Christ fills our souls for ministry. And he's filling the souls of these disciples as they're getting involved, <coughs> excuse me, in ministry. Now, sometimes even ministers need, to, need ministry, need somebody to minister to them. And so we need to understand that all of us need a, a capacity of ministry coming our way, but let's not forget our responsibility to turn out and minister in serving. That's what it's referred to as we serve others with compassion. A parallel passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, we see here that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing a great work among the people. Now, I can't help but remember the compassion of Christ, how great he was when he saved me. Aren't you glad for his great compassion, his great love to us? And we're going to talk about what compassion really is and what we're talking about in the, in the Bible when we read compassion. And when we see about God showing forth his love and his kindness and his pity and his sorrow toward us, and he's seeing that uh, uh, we are in need of his, of his help, and he reaches out to us. He doesn't turn us away, but he's right there when we cry out to God. How many of y'all believe that you and I can cry out to God and he hears our cry, amen? And so we need to understand uh, that the Lord is there for us. I can't help but think of a time in, in ministry as I yielded to my, uh, myself to the Lord and Connie, uh, she yielded to, to do whatever God wanted her to do and she wanted to marry a preacher and I was praying for a wife and we both went to a youth camp and uh, there in Louisiana. And uh, there in Tioga, Louisiana, a number of years ago, my dad helped run this uh, youth camp. And that year, uh, both of us uh, were helping out as counselors because we both graduated from a high school, from our Christian school. She was in Faith Baptist Church in Homa, Louisiana, down by the Gulf. And I was over in Slidell, and we were about an hour and a half away and didn't know each other. I think I'd seen her one time when I went over to a meeting at their church, but uh, I saw she had a baby in her hand. I thought she was married. And that was like the year before, so I was like, that's a nice lady, but uh, you know, I, I'm praying for God to give me a wife, and, and so I just remember saying hi to her and didn't think nothing about it, and then here we show up at youth camp together, and I found out she's single. I'm going, amen. And I remember uh, coaching uh, first base for my team as a counselor, and she's on first base as a player for her team, and, and I happened to look at her and thought, and a thought went through my mind, I wonder what it would be like to marry her. I'm going like, where did that come from? And a year later, we were married. God put us together. God gave us the opportunity. I don't know how it happened, but uh, God took a, a man with a, uh, an extra kidney and married a woman that had only one. Uh, I tell people, a two-and-a-half kidney man marries a one-kidney woman. We've got a two-kidney son. How's that happen? And so God had a way for us, not only in the physical side to meet up, but in the spiritual side in the sense that she yielded to be a preacher's wife and by the way, if you surrender in ministry, surrender to preach, uh, it, it'd be good, real good, to marry a woman that wants to go with you in ministry. Amen. And we work as a team and serve together. And, and so wait on the Lord, young people. I'm going to encourage you. Wait on the Go to sleep in the will of God, and you'll wake up with a spouse. That's what happened to Adam. Amen. That's about as easy as I can tell you. Adam went to sleep in the will of God, woke up, and had a woman. Amen. But the way what I mean is that God wants you to wait on him, and he will show you the right one to marry. How many of y'all believe young people can really get messed up and mess up their life? Come on. And uh, if you get around and get the wrong person in marriage or you get around the wrong crowd and you go astray, and aren't you glad, though, for God's grace and God's mercy? But uh, try your best to let the Lord have his way. So we're together, and our son is just a, a little baby, and we move up to Illinois working in a church and in the finances were struggling in the church, and I was a supervisor of the, of the high school and uh, in the Christian school, and uh, things were tight. And I got up that morning, and Connie said before I went out the door, she said, EJ is eating his last bit of cereal. I said, I mean, that's all we have for him? She said, that, this is it. And I left her and went into a room, and I started crying out to God. I said, God, I'm your servant. You called me into ministry. And, Lord, I'm uh, here uh, because of you, and I know you said that you'd never leave us nor forsake us, and I know you love me. And, I, Lord, I, I don't care if you take me home now. Just feed my wife and feed my boy. And I cried out unto God, and I had a peace. God was going to take care of things. I went to the school, 
And somebody uh, had, uh, I, I guess I lent $5 to somebody. I, it, was a, it, it was the principal. That's kind of how rough it was in school. I mean, I don't remember where I had the $5 to do that, but I, I guess I happened to have it. And he said, well, see, here's that money I, you uh, lent me. I said, thank you, brother. I said, at lunchtime, I need to run to the store and buy some cereal. My little boy, he ran out, and uh, he needs some uh, for, his, uh, for his food. And, uh, and he said, that'll be fine. So I did that, and I was so excited to have that little bit of money and buy that cereal along with his milk and, that he needed and such. And, and I told Connie, and I, rushed, and I gave it to her, and I rushed back to the school and had the school day, and we came home, and not long after that, we looked out in the porch of the house. There was $80 worth of groceries sitting on the front porch. And we began to weep and thank God for the provider, that he was the provider, and somebody, God touched their heart to bring us some food. You know what God was doing? He was showing his compassion toward us. He was showing his love for somebody that was willing to reach out. Now, how many of you notice that these people came to Jesus? They came to where Jesus was. And Jesus obligated himself to meet their need. And I believe a key in letting God work in our life is not to go away from Jesus, but you see when he's really working in our life is when we go to Jesus. When we come to him with a heart willing to yield ourselves and let him work. And so uh, when you get in trouble, don't run from God, run to God. When you get in trouble, don't run from the church, run to the church. Uh, when you need somebody to pray with, don't run from the fellow Christian. Run to him and ask him to pray with you. Amen. We need to understand that God wants us to come to him. Come unto me, he says. As a matter of fact, one of the issues that Israel had that really upset God concerning the relationship with him and one of their rebellious, naturist ways was that when they had trouble, they went to the world. They went to idolatrous nations. They tried to reach out to somebody else. And the Lord said, I want you to come to me. And when you come to me, I will meet your need. I'll even put somebody in your life to help you with that need if it is so be. But God says, come to me. And so we see they were coming to the Lord here. We see this great compassion of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of sinners. Back in Matthew 14, the chapter before in verse 15 through 21, Jesus fed the 5,000 men and women. Uh, it was 5,000 men plus more women and children that were predominantly Jews, could have well been 10,000 people. If you had, if it was a husband and a wife and a couple of kids, and if, you, if that was the average, there would have been a lot of people there. And so we find here that uh, in that chapter 14, uh, before this, what I read here, that he had five loaves of bread and two fishes with 12 baskets full that will remain. But here in chapter 15, uh, we find Jesus has moved from the northwest side of Galilee to the east side where Decapolis, or City of Ten, which some believe it was at least 13 cities, but in general it was called Cities of Ten, were semi-Gentile populated, actually more Gentiles. And here the afflicted multitudes brought their sick with many health issues, and Jesus healed them. And you'll, you'll notice here that no doubt he preached his word to them over a three-day period without them leaving from the arid mountainside Jesus spoke from. Now, friend, it wasn't an easy place to stay. No doubt they slept under the stars and maybe nudged up under a bush, a little tree, if they could find one. But they, maybe they had a tent they brought with them. And so it was a, a very rustic, tough, wilderness area where they came. And so we see here that they were willing to come to Jesus uh, no matter where he was. And that's very important to understand. Here this afflicted multitude brought their sick with many health issues and Jesus healed them, and, and as he preached the word, I mean, it was wonderful. It was, it was said that these Gentiles, that they glorified the God of Israel. Look at that portion. They glorified the God of Israel. That's exciting to me to see that people that uh, outside the commonwealth of Israel were willing to believe that Israel knew the true God and that the true God was right there ministering to them. Wow, that's an awesome thing. You see, it, it, we see the Gentiles by faith would receive Jesus more readily, many of them, than the Jewish population who had became very cynical. See, as early in this chapter where Jesus healed the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman, who was a Gentile, Jesus is spreading his gospel in a view of all nations. So his great compassion 
listen, is highlighted here for us to see. His great love, I mean, the, the central theme here is his great love is spread abroad to all who will hear and heed his message. Then through the disciples, the Lord will exemplify his divine compassion for us to have and get involved in as ministers to help souls in need. Isn't that great? And so you see that context that God's going to get them involved in this great meeting. Look with me in verse number 32. First we see compassion sees the needs of others. And you're not going to see the needs of others by sitting in front of the internet all the time or sitting in front of the television or closing yourself up and bunkering down or become a religious hermit. That's not the will of God. God wants us to look out and see the needs of others. The reason why many people do not see the, and have the compassion for souls is they don't let their heart, their eyes touch their heart when they see the need of someone. You see, compassion sees the needs of others. Look what he said. Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So Jesus tells his disciples that he had compassion on the hungry multitude who had been with him for three days. And so he did not want to send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Now, here they are coming to the Lord. I mean, to tell you, it's hard sometimes to get people to come. Uh, some people, you can't get them to come see a gnat eat a bale of hay nowadays. Hey, we're going to have a gnat come eat a bale of hay. I want you to show up. Eh, nothing. I've seen that before. You know, people are so cynical. Many times, uh, uh, people have been to so many activities, they can't seem to get to another one or get to somebody where you have to keep them uh, in tune with an active deal or, uh, or stir them up with the emotions in order to, uh, to get them to pay attention. Uh, churches uh, uh, many times are there uh, that are being built today. Uh, they call themselves churches, uh, but people grade them by entertainment value. And that's not the way to do a church. You better, have a, you better get up and, and as you look to the house of God and come, you better hear a man of God preaching from this old black book. Amen. You better have a word of God and the spirit filling uh, uh, the work of God being done through that local church and loving people, loving souls, winning souls, giving to missions and helping others and active in the work of God. And so the Lord has compassion. He is showing compassion to this crowd. I can't help but think of stories of uh, uh, one of our older men in the church in Canada. He was waiting. I mean, he is waiting. It was almost like he was waiting for my dad to show up because he knew what real preaching was because his, I think it was his father or his grandfather was an itinerant preacher in New Brunswick and all through that area. Now, you got to remember, that's cold country. Anything uh, uh, above the Mason-Dixon line gets cold, amen? And so you get past Maine, it gets real cold. And so... Here's a man that used to go, he used to tell stories to my dad, how that his dad, or grandfather, would travel around on horseback, and many people in these little communities didn't have a church, so he would go and preach, and be there once or twice a month, or however it worked, and they would sit out there in the cold and wait for him. And when he got there, he'd preach, and preach for two or three hours, and, and minister, and they'd eat, and then they'd meditate on the message for a while, and then he'd preach again. I mean, they had an all-day preaching. Because you know why? They, that's, that's what they were going to get for a little while. And we sometimes you find people complain about going to church once or twice a month and have air conditioning to sit in and heat to sit in or nice cushioned seats. You know what? We ought to be thanking God every day for all the blessings. But don't let the blessings stop us from doing what we need to do that God called us to do, and that's to have compassion for souls. Amen. To reach out to help others. And so Jesus shows us. He says, I have compassion. He showed us that he has it so that we can get it too. He has a yearning and, and a sympathy and pity on the needs of others. Now watch this. This is going to show you something else about compassion. Remember how the father reacted when the prodigal, or the, uh, the son that was the waster, remember he showed up, he was in the hog pen, and he came to his senses and repented, and he came back and got right with dad. This is the same word. Here, found in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, on compassion, that was there in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 15 here, in verse 20, as you find uh, here in Matthew. He says, and he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. So what did the compassion do that the father had? Here's what it made him do. He ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. How many of y'all believe the love of God will make us do something? Hey, the love of God is an active word. The love is active. It's not dormant. It has action and, and care in it. Noel Webster had a great definition. Listen to this definition in his 1828 dictionary. Compassion is a suffering with another, painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or the misfortunes of another, pity, commiseration, compassion. Now look at the word compassion. It's two words. It's, it's a word like compact, connected to passion. It's like a compact passion. It's, it's the joining of two thoughts or two words. And here they are. Webster said, compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. At least some portion of love generally attends to the pain or regret or is excited by it. Extreme distress of an enemy even changes enmity into at least temporary affection. Close quote. You know what he's saying? He says, when love and pity join together, it makes up compassion. Because it's in the heart, love's there, and uh, uh, pity is, is, is seeing the need, and when they come together, it prompts us to go forward to help and minister that love to those in need. Note how Jesus said, because they continue with me. They've been content. I've been here for three days, brother and sister, and I'm looking around, and some of these folk have been with me the whole time. These people were not continuing with the disciples. They were continuing with Jesus. How many of y'all believe that when people get a hold of Jesus, and Jesus gets a hold of them, it'll change their lives, amen? This phrase they continue with. Uh, listen, it's to stay further. It is to remain in a place with a person. It is figuratively to adhere to or persevere with, to abide still or to cleave unto. And so uh, we see that, uh, that uh, great word is being used, that, hey, they came because they want to cling to me. They want to stay with me. They want to identify with me. And that's when it goes deep. I can't help but see... Uh, there's times in my ministry when you see people are so excited about the preached Word of God. They're so excited about passing out gospel tracts. They're so excited, and we get stirred and moved in the needs of helping the children and helping the elderly and helping the lost and helping couples and, and ministering to those that are suffering. When we see that work in our life, you know what we're doing? We're seeing the Lord work through us in compassion. Compassion, you see. Is working through the heart of Jesus, meeting the needs of these people. Jesus not only saw these people's needs, he saw their hearts. They suffered or endured with Jesus in this heat and without food for a time. No one can feel God's compassion better than those who are willing to stay with Christ or be with him and hear his words. Jesus felt their need. They felt his love and compassion. Look at verse 33, we see compassion works through negativity. Now Jesus is going to have to face the negativity of the disciples when he begins to teach them about this ministry of compassion. Look what happens in verse 33. And his disciples say unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? So here, first of all, compassion works through negativity. Now remember, that word passion that's in that word compassion it has to deal with the stirring of the desire for the helping of need, the inner stirring of emotions and, and the need uh, for, the pity for uh, somebody's need to be met. You remember when we look at uh, the week where Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem and they hailed him as king and they threw down their, their jackets and their coats down and, and he walked, came across and, uh, on that donkey and he went in and they hailed him king. And then a few days later, they're screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. The two, the two greatest passions, hatred and love, were revealed that week in a greater extreme 
than any time in history. Now, I have a whole message I deal with that. That's why we call it the Passion Week. Because you'll see no greater hatred than the creation putting the Creator on a cross. But you'll see no greater love than the Creator looking at sinful creation and saying, I still love you. Isn't that awesome? And so you'll notice that when Jesus ministered, he did it with emotion. He did it with compassion. He did it with humility. He did it with zeal. And he was stirred to help others. We see the disciples now are not quite there yet. How many of y'all believe that it seems like the Lord picked the 12 most dysfunctional fellows on the earth <laughs> to follow him? And one of them was going to betray him. I mean, these guys were messed up. But you know what? When I got saved, I was messed up. When you got saved, we were messed up. But aren't you glad God is, is, is great at fixing messes, amen? And putting the puzzle uh, pieces back together. Connie and I were putting the puzzle together. Or actually, Connie was putting a puzzle together this last winter. You know, COVID makes you do dumb stuff. And I'm walking by, and she said, why don't you help me with this? I said, okay. I think it was three or four minutes. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> you know? I said, I'm, I'm, wanting to, I'm wanting to dump the table and get rid of the box and throw it in the trash. She said, we've got to work at finding this. I said, really? I don't really care. <laughs> but aren't you glad the Lord cares about our messes? And we're in pieces, aren't we? Before you know it, he's making something of our life because of his great love. And God will use you and I to help with others. Compassion works through negativity. The first thing they do is, well, we don't have enough food. Has the pastor ever asked you, would you pass out these gospel tracts? Uh, I don't know. I can't do that. Really? How about singing to the Lord? I don't know if I can do that. I'm embarrassed. Yeah, but I saw you at the OU Stadium the other day. I saw you at the Moore football game. You weren't embarrassed, but you were embarrassing me. No, I, I'm not saying these literally good. But the point I'm making is we, we look at things as negative. You ever notice that God's called you to do something? It's, if you're not careful, the first thing that comes up, I can't do it. How I many of y'all believe Moses did that? Oh, y'all don't want to go there tonight, I don't? Okay. <laughs> we just might have to go there for a while. God says for us to be willing. I don't know if I'm willing. God speaks so hard about something, we get embarrassed. I mean, y'all believe there's a lot of negative. I don't think we can do that. First thing comes up. I can't. Well, the disciples were not much different than you and I. I remember when we left Hazleton, Kansas, and I pastored for almost two years there and had a radio ministry for over a year. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't going to just stay under two years. But the Lord said, you're done. And had a church there in that little town of 97 or so people. It was, we had 21 there. That first Sunday I preached in Canada, that Sunday night a deacon's wife gets saved. And they vote me in 100%. <laughs> and so we come there. And when we, the first time we drove in, we saw an old dilapidated house with a goat on top of it. And we drive into the main road, and this is one main road. And there's a church and a parsonage, and across from the street of the church was bank. That was the name of it. It was just bank. I found out it was a farmer state bank, and it was the smallest bank in the state of Kansas. I can believe it, because all you did was see bank. I was like, what is that? It looks like a, looks like a jailhouse. And so I ministered there, and we saw God work. And, there, and in the last three months I was there, we were averaging 42 a Sunday for the last three months, seeing souls saved. God was working, and we were excited, and God says, you're done. And the Lord says, go south. He, he gave me a word, and I saw the congregation. I, I was just thinking about what, where you want me to go. And we thought, oh, boy, go south. So I went all the way to Louisiana, helped my dad for three or four months, and I even candidated a church. And thinking, but the Lord said, I want you to wait on me. And somebody put my name in the church at Bible Baptist. And my wife and I, we were so excited going back to Louisiana because that's where our folks were living. Connie's going to get back to her Cajun heritage. We're going to be around family. And then when it came time for me to, to say, yes, I'll come candidate at Bible Baptist Church, 
we left South Louisiana helping my dad. I got to lead a man to the Lord, and, and we just having a good time serving God. I, I got some things God was working in my heart. He's, he was dealing with me. And as we were driving from South Louisiana, where he was preaching and pastoring, all the way up here to, to Bible Baptist Church in El Reno, my wife was sitting next to me, looking out the window. She did not want to come back up here. Ladies, do you think y'all can really do something like that, actually? Yes, it happened. I saw it. I dealt with it for 13 or 15 hours. I'm saying, Connie, she says, I know. I know. We just left from up here. We finally got down to Louisiana and just all these emotions, negativity. And uh, I've told the story, so she's not mad at me. She's still married to me. So we get over there, and, and we get to Bible Baptist, and so they're going to have this activity on a Saturday, and we're there, and we go around with a couple of the older saints that showed us around town before the activity and have a hayride. And she meets Kathy Malone, who is now our best friend. And she's a member of the church. And come sit with me, Connie, right here on the next to me on the straw, right here this, as we're going through the park. We have this hayride, and, and, and we're having a great time with the young couples. And we, we get back to the church, and we're going to go stay in the prophet's chamber. And you can see Connie softening up. She says, we may come here, huh? I said, honey, we may be. We're to wait and see what God's going to do today. And I walk up behind that pulpit and look around, and that was the place I saw in my mind. And I looked at the map where I was from Hazleton, Kansas. When I went all the way down to Louisiana, I think God said go south, and I know he said that to me. I looked at the map, Hazleton, Kansas. It, it, due south as the crow flies is El Reno, Oklahoma. And I preached that Sunday, and God blessed. And she said, we're coming here. And I said, I believe we are. And then they voted on us a week or two later, and here we are. And she was so excited. What changed her mind? Well, God showed her some compassion, and God worked on her. God dealt with her heart, and she was willing to surrender to what God says to do. But it took a little time. But first time, have you ever been told to do something by the Lord? And negativity jumps up. Anybody here like that, say amen if you're with me. It happens, doesn't it? I can't do this. I'm never, I'm not made that way. Oh, we go all through all our deals, and after God hears us, then, we, then here's what Jesus began to do. He began to help the disciples. You see, they said, when should we have so much bread? Wait a minute, wait a minute. They had their eyes on themselves supplying, not Jesus supplying the need. It was not about we, it's about he. It's not about them it's about him, Jesus. Philippians 4, 19 and 20 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever. Amen. See, compassion for others is a choice in the heart, not the mood of the circumstances. Compassion works through neg negativity many times. Notice verse 34. Compassion identifies with the situation at hand. Look what we see here. And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Now the Lord's getting ready to do something great, but he wants to use something that they have to build on to help them give. He's wanted them to find somebody that's willing to give, participate. And they said seven and a few little fishes. So these are kind of like tilapia fish, or like we would say something like a blue bluegill in our area, or a small crappie, or just a smaller type fish that they ate. And so uh, compassion identifies the situation at hand. Ask them to identify this in contrast to the need. Well, this is what the Lord wants us to see so we can know how much to believe in him, to meet the need. It turned from the doubtful attitude of the disciples into the positive attitude of Jesus, wanting them to believe that he can do it, not them. And so what did they do? They gave it unto the Lord, and he began to bless it. It's not about how great you are and how great I am and how much stuff we have. It could be a very small thing. It could be a very small offering. It could be a, a, a gift. It can be a, a talent. It could be something that you and I have. God says, I want you to give it to me. And when I take it, I'm going to bless it and I'm going to multiply it. But you'll not see it unless you're willing to give it unto God. You're not willing, you're not willing to step out by faith. You're not going to see God take something and build on it. Increase your faith and trust in Him. 
I remember this story. It's happened there as we lived in, in Springfield, Missouri. And the dad was going to, to Bible college. And sometimes the finances at the beginning were tough. But then when dad got rolling with his construction company and building houses, he was framing houses and making good money and even in, uh, hiring some of the students at the college and, and even building for some of the, from some of the professors' houses. He lived, he, they lived in for years. But Dad sometimes would not. He had the money and stuff sometimes here and there. Uh, but I, don't, I can't remember how much he had at that moment, of course, or if we were down. But it seems like things were going well. But he was praying for some new shoes. And his shoes had, I think he had some cardboard in, in a piece of them, and they were just you know, nasty-looking thing and trying to make it to school and, and take care of business. And... and uh, he got my mother involved. He said, why don't you just pray for some new shoes? And he began to pray for some shoes. And before you know it, somebody at the church said, brother, I've got some shoes. I'd like to see if you try them. They were big old shoes. You know, he could, they're like boats. He could have went on a ship with them, amen? He could have got him an oar and gone down the river. They were so big. <laughs> or they bring him some shoes. And somebody said, hey, I've got some shoes. And they were too small. Or they were too wide. And my mother, in her simple childlike faith, this is the way she was, a woman with eighth grade education came out of South Louisiana and, and couldn't hardly speak English and began to learn to trust God and walk by faith. She was the same lady that surrendered to, uh, to the mission field before Dad got saved, surrendered to be a preacher's wife before Dad got saved, surrendered to, to do all she could to be faithful to love God because she believed God was going to save my dad and call him into the ministry and we we're going to go to the mission field. And she was preparing for the mission field before my dad ever got saved, a woman of great faith. And she said to my dad, and her big black eyes, the Cajun look, she said, did you ever tell God your size? <laughs> and dad says, woman, God made me. He knows my size. Well, I know it, but why don't you ask God for the size you need? And dad just went like a little light came. I said, maybe that's what he's waiting on. Just childlike faith and talking to God as a child would do the dad. And so dad and mom prays, Lord, he says, Lord, you know I need a size 8.5D leather dress shoes from wearing suits. You know what I need. I thank you for it. I believe you're going to supply. Amen. A few days later, he's coming back from Baptist Bible College. He's driving down the road, getting ready to go under an underpass. He looks out in the little story. In the middle of the road is a pair of shoes. He pulls over, and he's watching them shoes. Traffic's going back and forth. Back and forth, and he sees their dress shoes. Well, where did they come from? What happened? Did they just fall out of heaven? Did somebody drop them out of their car? Did somebody come by and just set them down? We don't know. So the traffic cleared a little. Dad went out there and grabbed those shoes and brought them back to the car. They were a pair of leather, military, patent leather dress shoes. If you know anything about leather shoes in the bottom, you can't walk across anywhere without looking on the bottom of them and seeing they're scuffed. They were not even scuffed. Brand new shoes. And don't you know, they're eight and a half D. And he's going back home and shouting it out and telling mom what happened and his glory in the Osteen family. Now, some of y'all don't believe that story, but it really happened. You know what they had to get, dad had to get away from? The simple negativity of a simple faith, childlike faith. And my mother helped him with that. Why don't you just trust, talk to God about your need in a deeper way and just say, here's what I need. And he thought, it's so simple that it, it's going to work. And it worked. And God says, here, just give me the fish. Just give me the bread. Now, all they had to do is go, God, you're going to make it work. And God will make it work. And so the compassion must be guided by Christ's commands. And what happened? He prayed. He told them to sit down. They began to obey him. Things are going well. Look in the latter part of verse 36. And he says that he gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Now, I mean, I believe that they could have walked by and Jesus could have done all that. They could have come to Jesus. He could have handed it out. Amen. How many of believe he could have rained manna out of heaven? Amen for them. But you know what he did? He got them involved. He got them involved in ministry. And so they break, he break it, he prayed, and they begin to pass it up. And every time the people would reach in uh, for some bread and for some fish, they had plenty to eat. Because compassion gets disciples involved in God's work. 
Like the disciples, God expects us to get involved in His work. The disciples received this from the Lord, and then they gave the bread to the people. We are to receive blessings and goods and spiritual truths to contribute to others. The multitude did not get the bread and fish until the disciples gave it to them. You know why people have a need out there not met? Many times it's churches are failing to take on their responsibility of getting them the gospel. Well, Lord, I pray you you help somebody pass out tracts this week. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't you do that? How many of y'all believe that these tracts in my pocket are not the final destination for these tracts? Anybody believe that? How many of y'all believe it's going to take a hand and a heart to get a hold of them and pass it out and be willing for that person to throw it down, receive it, go away from me, Say thank you or do whatever it could and not worry about emotion, not worry about what they do. Just do my part to get the gospel out. Maybe I need to leave it on the table at the restaurant. Maybe I need to uh, uh, bring it on my counter and while uh, the, the, the cashier's busy and can't say, listen, I'd like to leave this with you. On a break time, would you read it? Say, yeah, yeah, I think I will. And walk away. It might take a simple, sir, would you like to read this? I'd like to give you a gift. It doesn't take much. But it's not the final destination for it to be in my pocket. Now I'm to get them out of my pocket and get them to somebody in need. And now they're involved. It gets the disciples involved in the work. And we are to receive the blessings and goods and spiritual truths to contribute to others. As they did here, they were involved. Well, look at this. This last area in verse 37 through 39. And they did all eat and were filled. See, I believe it's the will of God for me to go eat and get full. Amen. It's in the book. We're filled. I don't want to go. So I didn't want Brother Nut to bring me to the restaurant and say, okay, the, the order is you'll get one pea, one piece of lettuce, and a little edge of a chicken and some water and be happy about it. It wasn't that way. Brother Ocean, order what you want. I'm going, yes, that's what I want to hear. Amen. And then I order... Fried catfish. There you go. So it worked out great. Now, friend, I'm going to tell you, the Lord says that he gave to them, and he did all, they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat, that's the food, uh, that was left seven baskets full. No, notice it was seven baskets full here. And it was 4,000 men beside women and children, so it could, be, it could go all the way up to eight or 9,000 people. And he, and he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. But notice this. Now, I didn't know this. But I read, read this, and it helped me. I'm going I'm to read it to you. Because compassion sees God work abundantly. And I began to think about, Lord, you're working abundantly. And I'm writing this stuff down and thinking about it. And all, all the people ate and were filled. And the disciples gathered up the seven baskets. 4,000 men and plus women and children were fed. This could be, be close to 10,000 people or 9,000. I mean, wow, what a glorious. And God got these men involved and, and got others cared. And, and they're going to have seven baskets full. I'm thinking, there's not going to be a lot of food on the way home because there's going to be a lot of people. But God can provide extra every time somebody reaches in for a need. It can be met. Amen. And seven's a number of perfection. I like that. I'm thinking, what a perfect meal God gave them. And I was studying reading in another book about this message a while back. And I was reading John Phillips' book on exploring the gospel of Matthew. And in page 315, he says, he gives a comment that was from G. Campbell Morgan, another preacher, concerning the difference between these two Greek words for basket that are found in chapter 14 when he gave the, and fed the 5,000. That word for basket after was 12 baskets full. That word basket was a different word than the basket, word for basket here in this chapter. So you go from two different chapters and the word basket is from two different words. Okay, so what, what are you talking about? Here, I'm going to read this to you. So he takes the, he, he concerned the difference here between these two words for basket. He says, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples gathered 12 baskets full of leftovers in chapter 14, verse 20, right there next to your chapter 15. In chapter 14, 20, that word kofanos, which signifies a small wicker basket in which a traveling Jew would have kept food. In other words, like a lunch pail or something they strapped to their body. Just a small thing that they would put food in, some dry food fish, for instance, or bread, and such as that, or some fruit. 
because they travel and they stop and eat their lunch. So it was a small little basket. And uh, it signified a small wicker basket. So at the end of the feeding of the 4,000, here in chapter 15, the disciples gathered seven baskets full of leftovers. What do you think? Well, that's, that's less. No, it's not. It's because in chapter 15, verse 37, you see the word spurus is used, which signifies a large planted and woven basket in which a Gentile would have kept his wares. And if you follow that word to Acts chapter 9, verse 25, here's what he says. Luke used spurus again, that word for basket, to refer to the kind of basket in which the Christians of Damascus, watch this, lowered Paul the apostle down over the wall. So it's the same word used here in chapter 15. Seven baskets were the kind of basket that a man could literally stand in and be put down a wall. Now, how many of y'all believe a little wicker basket that was found with a 12 basket full was smaller than this big basket that he was given to these Gentiles in this period of time after the feeding of the 4,000? What is significant about that? Well, we see the size difference is, is significant when the predominantly Gentiles were fed and leftovers were gathered. Jesus even makes the distinction in Matthew 16. Go to the next chapter. Go to Matthew 16. Look at verse number 9. As I read there, he says, Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. So he's signifying these two events. And he's reminding them that they were special. This could mean that Jesus wanted the Gentiles to know that he would have plenty of compassion and grace for them in the future. I mean, when the Jews had 12 baskets and they were small baskets, that was what was left over. We rejoice. Praise God. There was food left over. But you know that many of the Jews were still rejecting Jesus. But here he is with these Gentiles over here that not, many of them and their families never knew God. And they, they wanted to be saved. They wanted to know God. And aren't you glad for the grace, the abundant love, and the mercy, and the compassion that the Lord shows. And he's still showing compassion to Gentile nations. Amen. And I see a bunch of Gentiles, I'm assuming, here today. They got saved. Amen. And so God said, I have grace for all. I mean, I've got a basket load that even a, a man can stand in, full of food for you. And he sent them down the trail. And no doubt two or three of them would have to either put it on their donkey or their, or their camel or carry it together for a while. Because I'm telling you, a lot of fish and food uh, and, and bread could be pretty heavy. And they would stop probably maybe a few hours later and say, hey, let's eat some of the food that Jesus gave us. And they were full. He said, we feel blessed. We have abundant grace given to us. Aren't you glad for the abundant grace the Lord Jesus Christ gave you and I when he saved us? And so we are allowing the Spirit of God to overflow in our hearts as we yield to the Lord and be bearing fruit and the love of God and the compassion for the lost. We want to share that with them. Do we have a real compassion for the needs and the conditions of others? And Jesus did. He had words of mercy. He had service of love. He had provisions of grace. And they glorified the God of Israel. You know, friends, though our hearts, as God gives us compassion for souls, sometimes gets hard. We need to ask God to soften it and love others and see the need as Christ saw the need. Passing out tracts. It could be supporting the missionaries, mission, ministering to, uh, to somebody in need or abroad, witnessing and speaking to the lost, caring for the needy, helping the poor, do what God's called you and I to do, to reach out in love. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord will fill up a basket, and we can walk away from ministering to those people, and they're going to go, look what God gave me. God always leaves blessings with people when he walks away. And when you and I minister the grace of God and the love of God to souls, when we walk away, they have the responsibility to receive it or reject it. But when they receive the blessings of the message, the help that we give them as we walk away, 
They could probably feel like God just gave them a basket load of blessings and goods. I can't help but think of a lady that had compassion, one of the greatest ladies I ever knew, uh, Miss Brown, Miss Alice Brown. Was, I buried Miss Alice a number of years ago there in El Reno. Her family was so poor that when she, the coal tra train would come through El Reno, they would stand around by it. When the coal would shake off, they would gather up coal for their house to heat the house. And many times during the school year, kids would come over and see their kids. And somehow Miss Alice always had enough food for all the children that would come. And when I preached her, her funeral, as a poor widow lady, she would sit out, she, uh, they would sit out there and start begin to tell me later on testimonies how, I mean, see, a lot of young couples that were older then, how that Miss Alice Brown ministered love to them. We're talking about a lady that was at the Bible Baptist Church for a number of years. She, she was, we dedicate the nursery to her, <coughs> how that God used her. We're talking about a lady that during uh, vacation Bible school, that one of her children got behind the bus and the bus driver didn't see and they, it ran over the child and it killed the child. And we're talking about a lady who didn't quit church over it, but stayed faithful to God. She knew God had a purpose behind it. We're talking about a lady that when I went to go visit to, uh, her and, and when she was elderly where she couldn't hardly get to church and she wouldn't want me to come see her and I would pray with her and talk to her and before I could get out of the house, of course, she would give me her tithes uh, from her uh, 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 just a simple social security check. But she would give her tithes and she said, Pastor, before you leave, wait there. And she'd go over into the kitchen and she had some canned goods and bags. She had some things that she knitted for the kids and little bookmarks. Say, give this to the bus kids. I'm thinking, Mrs. Alice, you hardly have a thing in this house. I'm thinking this in my mind. But you're not going to stop Miss Alice from getting a blessing. She's going to share the gospel. Here's some tracts I made up and put, fixed up for the kids to bring home so their moms and dads can get saved. Now, you know what happened to that lady? She got a boat load, a basket load, a truck load of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And she loved souls to the day she died. So let me ask you a question. And ask me this question. Ask us this question. Are we having compassion that Christ had? If we do not, what's blocking it? What attitude is blocking compassion to reach out to others? Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to let God have his way in your life. As you have this time, we have this just a moment of prayer and uh, have some music. I'm going to give over to Brother Nutt. Let's pray. Let's just ask God to show us in our heart. You yield to the Lord. Do what it takes. Get somebody to pray with you tonight, even after the service. Do whatever it takes to get things to the Lord and get right with God or yield to the Lord or praise the Lord for what he's doing in your life. If you're not saved, talk to somebody. Say, I want to be saved. And they can take the Bible and show you what the Bible says about salvation. Well, we love you and thank you for your great grace. Thank you for the compassion that you show us. Thank you for the people that showed compassion in our life. Thank you, Lord, for these men and women of God that came over to Louisiana and began to declare your word. Thank you for these great uh, preachers that had their wives taking care of the children and ministering to them in Sunday school. And these men of God would stand up and preach behind the pulpit. And, Lord, people would get saved. Lord, thank you for Brother Allen who would come and start the churches in South Louisiana and North Louisiana that touched the lives of our family. And I want to thank you for the people that loved us to you. Help us to love 